Welcome to the Episcopal Church of the Redeemer's Sermon Podcast. The readings appointed for this sermon are from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 33, verse 7 through 11, Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 13, verse 8 through 14, the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 18, verse 15 through 20, and Psalm 119, verse 33 through 40. Open our minds, warm our hearts, but also bend our wills, for we seek to hear your word. Amen. Early one morning, in a little coffee shop, in a small college town, in the middle of nowhere, Missouri, a man asked a barista if he had heard, if she had heard of the redemptive power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I remember his words well. Have you heard the good news? Repent, be saved, accept Jesus into your life, and you'll go straight to heaven when you die. I was 21. Yes, sir. Uh, yes, I know Jesus. I'm an Episcopalian. <laughs> Episcopal? What? Episcopal? What? Episcopalian, sir. Is that Christian? <laughs> yeah, it's Christian. Uh, I go to that little stone church just up the street there. I think my answer satisfied him, at least in the moment, because he took his triple grande pumpkin spice white mocha from my hand and he tipped his hat and he walked out the door with a satisfied look on his face that said, thanks be to Pete, I saved that one. (laughs) Now working at a coffee shop can teach you a lot about humans. The one I worked at called itself people's third place. You have your work, you have home, you have your third place. A place where you feel like you belong. Where you know that people are looking for you to be there. Where you're loved and you can show up in pajama pants and a messy bun and people are just glad to see you. Some people, though, come into a third place and they take their cup and they leave, telling themselves that they know coffee. But what I've seen is that the people who stay and get comfortable and settle in and share their lives together and tell stories together and try Sam's weird smoothie concoction he came up with that has espresso in it for some reason. The people who hold the alley door open for you on trash day, those were not just coffee people, but coffee shop people. What I found is that Jesus 
is a lot more like a French press than a Keurig cup. <laughs> and in all seriousness, I want us to consider how the gospel today might be like a coffee shop. I want us to think of how this lesson we are given is not one on just how to consume a cup, but on how to create a community that resembles that feeling you get when you hold that nice, big, warm bowl in your hands and you sip it over conversation with another. How do we get to a place where we find everyone having the opportunity to embrace love in that way? How do we be someone who pours a cup for another, makes room for someone else? Today's gospel lesson is Jesus's not so obvious way of saying, you really can't do this Christian thing all on your own. Following Jesus requires community. People to love and to care for you. People to know you and to understand you. And people who will keep you in check when you have forgotten how to act like a follower of Christ. It begins, if another member of the church sins against you, go and talk to that person one-on-one. -on -one. It's not a treatise on how to hash out with insults and put-downs. What Jesus is asking his disciples to do is to go to one another and really try, really try to work it out amongst yourselves first. The first step is about accountability. Own your own stuff. Be willing to be made aware of what you've done that might have offended the other person. If you're the person who's been hurt, this is your chance to clarify what has happened. Did you understand why the person said the thing they said? Or did the thing they did? The beauty of the formula that we are given in the gospel, that if that step, step one, if it works, that's it. You've received reconciliation. There has been repentance and forgiveness between the two that have now become one. And you get to stop there. Be with one another as one. Notice that the first step, even that first step, requires two people. Two people. Because reconciliation with our neighbor is not just a private conversation between us and God. It is restoration work of oneness with humanity, and it takes a lot of humility. It requires us not to be right, 
but to be in right relationship with our neighbor. Now, if step one doesn't work, which sadly it often does not, Jesus says to go and get one or two other people to see if they can help you to understand one another a bit better. For Jesus, this is not a trial. He's not suggesting that you go and get your posse together and gang up on the other person, this offender, and make your point heard. Jesus is suggesting that maybe, just, just maybe, you were not able to hear the other side of the story on your own. And so you need some, some new ears, some new perspective to hear the other person's side of the story. Why this separation or misunderstanding occurred in the first place. There's a third step, if that doesn't work. This last step in the gospel formula for this morning is where most people start. We just skip right over step one and step two and we go straight to step three, which is air your grievances in front of the entire community, which we have all seen happen in Facebook comments, haven't we? Yes. Jesus tells us, though, that this is the last step. This is the last resort. Most arguments we have should be able to be settled without having to involve the entire community. That said, sometimes people's pride makes it difficult for them to take their own part in a broken relationship, even when one or two or three or four or five people come to them to make it better. Sometimes we just can't get through. Our deeply culturally entrenched brains at that moment will tell us, this is the end. None of that worked. They won't even listen to the church, so throw them out with the trash. Can somebody hold the alley door open for me? We don't need that guy anyways. A Gentile and a tax collector, he shall be to you. By Felicia. There's just one problem. Jesus loved Gentiles and tax collectors. Outsiders were kind of his thing. He ate with tax collectors and sinners. He welcomed the destitute and the prostitute. He embraced the people who we pushed out, who were misunderstood, offensive to the sensible schemes of society. Jesus actually loves all the people we hate. And Jesus told us that we need one another. That we are one body. And so we can't say to each other, I have no need of you. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, I will be in the midst of them. 
Today's gospel formula is not a lesson on how to justify oneself in our own individual endeavors of self-aggrandizement. Today's gospel lesson is a step-by-step instruction manual on how to love even more diligently the people who we would throw away because they have offended us. One of the greatest gifts of the gospel is that we get to hear it, and then we get to hear it again, and then we get to hear it again in new ways. The first time I read this gospel lesson, I thought, okay, step one, try to work it out with yourselves. Step two, go get your friends. Make sure they're on your side so they can tell the person what they did wrong. Step three, bye Felicia. But that's not what Jesus is saying in this reading. It's not what it appears to be just on the surface. It's not a judicial method on how to cut someone out of your life. It doesn't just give us license to assume ourselves as the morality police that have all the answers. It's not just a cup of joe to go. It's a coffee shop. It's a community. It's a place of belonging. These words of Jesus invite us to consider what being a follower of him looks like when we know that we cannot do this Christian thing all on our own. The gospel invites us to sit down with our neighbor and have a cup together. Maybe we would talk about, maybe that that man and I in that coffee shop all those years ago could have talked about what being saved meant to each of us. What are we being saved from? What are we being saved from? Four, are we being saved for heaven after we die, or are we being saved for heaven on earth? Are we being saved so that we can be right, or are we being saved so that we can be in right relationship with one another? Are we being saved so we can condemn those we think are unworthy, Or are we being saved to tell the unworthy that we all have been redeemed? Are we saved for ourselves? Or for the restoration of the world? My friend Tom Kirkwood suggested to me once that perhaps we are being saved for a rainy day. I think the question before us then is will we be the storm cloud or the umbrella? Amen.